0: This is section 130 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This entire LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 130 The Galaxy Clubroom, August, 1871. ABOUT BARBERS All things change, except barbers, the ways of barbers, and the surroundings of barbers. These never change what one experiences in a barber shop the first time he enters one is what he always experiences in barber shops afterward till the end of his days I got shaved this morning as usual a man approached the door from jones street as i approached it from maine a thing that always happens i hurried up but it was of no use he entered the door one little step ahead of me and i followed in on his heels and saw him take the only vacant chair The one presided over by the best barber. It always happens so. I sat down, hoping that I might fall heir to the chair belonging to the better of the remaining two barbers, for he had already begun combing his man's hair while his comrade was not yet quite done rubbing up and oiling his customers' locks. I watched the probabilities with strong interest. When I saw that number 2 was gaining on number 1, my interest grew to solicitude when number one stopped a moment to make change on a bath ticket for a newcomer and lost ground in the race my solicitude rose to anxiety when number one caught up again and both he and his comrade were pulling the towels away and brushing the powder from their customers cheeks and it was about an even thing which one would say next first my very breath stood still with the suspense but when at the final culminating moment number one stopped to pass a comb a couple of times through his customer's eyebrows, I saw that he had lost the race by a single instant, and I rose indignant and quitted the shop to keep from falling into the hands of number two. For I have none of that enviable firmness that enables a man to look calmly into the eyes of a waiting barber and tell him he will wait for his fellow barber's chair. I stayed out fifteen minutes, and then went back, hoping for better luck. Of course all the chairs were occupied now, and four men sat waiting, silent, unsociable, distraught, and looking bored as men always do who are waiting their turn in a barber's shop. I sat down in one of the iron-armed compartments of an old sofa, and put in the time for a while, reading the framed advertisements of all sorts of quack nostrums for dyeing and coloring the hair then i read the greasy names on the private bay rum bottles read the names and noted the numbers on the private shaving cups in the pigeonholes, studied the stained and damaged cheap prints on the walls of battles early presidents and voluptuous recumbent sultanas and the tiresome and everlasting young girl putting her grandfather's spectacles on execrated in my heart the cheerful canary and the distracting parrot that few barber-shops are without. Finally, I searched out the least dilapidated of the last year's illustrated papers that littered the foul center-table, and conned their unjustifiable misrepresentations of old forgotten events. At last my turn came. A voice said, "'Next!' and I surrendered to number two, of course. It always happens so. I said meekly that I was in a hurry, and it affected him as strongly as if he had never heard it. He shoved up my head and put a napkin under it. He plowed his fingers into my collar and fixed a towel there. He explored my hair with his claws and suggested that it needed trimming. I said I did not want it trimmed. He explored again and said it was pretty long for the present style—better have a little taken off. It needed it behind especially. I said I had had it cut only a week before. He yearned over it reflectively a moment and then asked with a disparaging manner, who cut it? I came back at him promptly with a you did. I had him there. Then he fell to stirring up his lather and regarding himself in the glass, stopping now and then to get close and examine his chin critically or torture a pimple. Then he lathered one side of my face thoroughly, and was about to lather the other, when a dog-fight attracted his attention, and he ran to the window and stayed and saw it out, losing two shillings on the result in bets with the other barbers, a thing which gave me great satisfaction. He finished lathering, meantime getting the brush into my mouth only twice, and then began to rub in the suds with his hand and as he now had his head turned, discussing the dog-fight with the other barbers, he naturally shoveled considerable lather into my mouth without knowing it, but I did. He now began to sharpen his razor on an old suspender, and was delayed a good deal on account of a controversy about a cheap masquerade ball he had figured at the night before, in red cambric and bogus ermine, as some kind of a king. He was so gratified with being chafed about some damsel whom he had smitten with his charms, that he used every means to continue the controversy by pretending to be annoyed at the chafing of his fellows. This matter begot more surveyings of himself in the glass, and he put down his razor and brushed his hair with elaborate care, plastering an inverted arch of it down on his forehead, accomplishing an accurate part behind and brushing the two wings forward over his ears with nice exactness. In the meantime the lather was drying on my face, and apparently eating into my vitals. Now he began to shave, digging his fingers into my countenance to stretch the skin, making a handle of my nose now and then, bundling and tumbling my head this way and that, as convenience in shaving demanded, and hawking and expectorating pleasantly all the while as long as he was on the tough sides of my face i did not suffer but when he began to rake and rip and tug at my chin the tears came i did not mind his getting so close down to me i did not mind his garlic because all barbers eat garlic i suppose but there was an added something that made me fear that he was decaying inwardly while still alive and this gave me much concern he now put his finger into my mouth to assist him in shaving the corners of my upper lip, and it was by this bit of circumstantial evidence that I discovered that a part of his duties in the shop was to clean the kerosene lamps. I had often wondered in an indolent way whether the barbers did that, or whether it was the boss. About this time I was amusing myself trying to guess where he would be most likely to cut me this time, but he got ahead of me and sliced me on the end of the chin before I had got my mind made up. He immediately sharpened his razor—he might have done it before. I do not like a close shave, and would not let him go over me a second time. I tried to get him to put up his razor, dreading that he would make for the side of my chin—my pet tender spot—a place which a razor cannot touch twice without making trouble but he said he only wanted to just smooth off one little roughness and in that same moment he slipped his razor along the forbidding ground and the dreaded pimple signs of a close shave rose up smarting in answer to the call now he soaked his towel in bay rum and slapped it all over my face nastily slapped it over as if a human being ever yet washed his face in that way then he dried it by slapping with the dry part of the towel as if a human being ever dried his face in such a fashion. But a barber seldom rubs you like a Christian. Next he poked bay rum into the cut place with his towel, then choked the wound with powdered starch, then soaked it with bay rum again, and would have gone on soaking and powdering it forevermore, no doubt, if I had not rebelled and begged off. He powdered my whole face now, straightened me up, and began to plow my hair thoughtfully with his hands, and examine his fingers critically. Then he suggested a shampoo, and said my hair needed it badly, very badly. I observed that I had shampooed it myself, very thoroughly, in the bath, yesterday. I had him again. He next recommended some of Smith's hair-glorifier, and offered to sell me a bottle. I declined. He praised the new perfume, Jones's Delight of the Toilet and proposed to sell me some of that i declined again he tendered me a toothwash, atrocity of his own invention and when i declined offered to trade knives with me he returned to business after the miscarriage of this last enterprise sprinkled me all over legs and all greased my hair in defiance of my protests against it rubbed and scrubbed a good deal of it out by the roots and combed and brushed the rest parting it behind, and plastering the eternal inverted arch of hair down on my forehead, and then, while combing my scant eyebrows and defiling them with pomade, strung out an account of the achievements of a six-ounce and tan terrier of his, till I heard the whistles blow for noon, and I knew I was five minutes too late for the train. Then he snatched away the towel, brushed it lightly about my face, passed his comb through my eyebrows once more and gaily sang out, Next! This barber fell down and died of apoplexy two hours later. I am waiting over a day for my revenge. I am going to attend his funeral. End of section 130 And end of newspaper articles by Mark Twain Read by John Greenman